All right, as the children are heading out, I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings. We're going to be in chapter 4 of 2 Kings, verses 1 through 7. 2 Kings 4, verses 1 through 7. It's found on page 309 of your pew Bibles. As you remember, as we're going through the ministry of Elijah and now Elisha, his disciple, we are looking at what it means to be in conflict between kingdoms, the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man established in this dynasty in Israel, established by a man named Omri and passed on to his sons after him, and the kingdom of God, which has brought forth Elijah and Elisha to speak forth the word of God and the promises of life and life everlasting. In our passage for this morning, we come across one whose husband had given himself to the ministry of the word of God, and yet out of no fault of his own. He dies and leaves his wife and his two sons. And yet we see that even in the midst of this conflict between kingdoms, that the Lord himself provides and gives deliverance. So here now the word of the Lord, second Kings chapter four. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And she poured and as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on the rest. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us pray. Oh, almighty God, we come to you now at this time. Lord, and we are people who live in a world where there is conflict. Conflict, Lord, between your kingdom and the kingdom of this world. And Lord, we often are caught as victims in the midst of this hardship and this struggle. And we look for wisdom from your word. And we ask, oh God, that you would give to us faith to trust in your son, Jesus Christ. That through hearing your word, read and preached that we might know fullness of life in Him and Him alone. And we pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. 
1910, the boll weevil arrived in Alabama. It traveled north from Mexico, and this insect wreaked havoc on the cotton fields of Alabama. And as you would know, cotton was the major source of income for this region. As these pests multiplied across the state, they destroyed millions of dollars in crops, and small farmers who were already in debt could not afford such a loss. What were the farmers to do in the midst of situ- this situation? How could they respond to such devastation? By eating their cotton, the boll weevil was destroying their very livelihoods. The farmers of this region were in a desperate situation. In like manner, in our passage for this morning, we find a widow who is in a desperate situation. Her husband died. And she has two sons to care for and a mountain of debt that she cannot repay on her own. While there were provisions in the Mosaic Law to help widows, it is apparent that she has fallen through the cracks of the safety net. If her debt is not paid soon, we read that the creditor is going to come and take her two sons away to be his slaves to pay off this debt. First, she loses her husband. And now she is facing the possibility of losing her sons. And there is seemingly nothing she can do to stop it. Have you ever come to a situation like this in your life? A time when you could see no way of escape. The outside forces of life have converged upon you and there's nothing that you can do to deliver yourself. Like the southern cotton farmers who were losing their crop to an insect that they had nothing to do with. Or like this woman who was losing everything she cherished because of a financial crisis left in the wake of her husband's death. Maybe it's a disease that you did nothing to contract, but now you're dealing with the pain and the debilitating effects of it. Maybe you are in a financial need because of a loss of a job or because of an unforeseen medical expense. You see, there are forces at work in this world that are beyond our power to control, that affect our lives. There are things that happen in our lives that we cannot control in any way. We have to deal with them. Things like a worldwide pandemic that we did nothing to bring about, and yet it affected our very lives. The people of Ukraine are suffering from a war that they did not begin Those who live through financial hardships, like the Great Depression or the Great Recession a few years ago. We had nothing to do with the crash of the stock market, but had to deal with the financial effects of it in our lives. You see, there are these forces that are at work around us. And we are unnamed victims of forces that we have no control over. But just as we find a desperate situation in our text, we also find a powerful God. A God who is able to bring deliverance to His people as they are willing to offer their weakness to Him in exchange for His strength and power. Now the first person that we meet in our text for this morning is this unnamed widow in this desperate situation. Look at verse 1 
of chapter 4. It says, now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets. Now that phrase, sons of the prophets, means that he was a part of a band of prophets that were with Elisha. So this is a man that had given his life to serving the Lord. Now one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And we're not told how this widow came to lose her husband or how she came into such large amounts of debt. We don't know the background story. And maybe that is best. Because if we learn too much about the situation, we might begin assigning blame to this widow for her desperation. We like to do that to people who come to hard times. We like to blame people for the hardships that they endure, even if they are not the cause of their own desperate situation. We see people who are in the middle of a war and we think, why don't they just leave? We see people whose homes are flooded and we think, well, why did you buy a home in a flood zone? People are hit with financial troubles and we think, you know, I'm I'm good at making sure that my financial state and life is stable. They must do something that has got them to this place. They, they, they're, their spending is way out of control. Now, I'm not trying to suggest that we do not have responsibility for any of the hardships that come into our lives. But what I am saying is that that we will often assign unjust blame to the victims of desperate situations to assure ourselves that we will never end up like them. Because we know how to see danger coming. We know how to buy a home on high ground. We know how to manage our money wisely. And so we will never find ourselves in a place of desperation where we have to look outside of ourselves for help. Now, we're not told how this widow came to her hardship. So that we are faced with the reality that we too may come to such a desperate situation. You cannot come to this text and justify yourself out of listening to what it is teaching you today. So what do we know about this situation? Well, first we know that her desperation led her to call out to the Lord through the, through the prophet Elisha. Her husband had been a faithful servant. Though he is unnamed like his wife, his faithfulness to the Lord is displayed in the text. It says that he feared the Lord. We know that he served the Lord when it was a difficult place and time to serve the Lord in Israel during the reign of Omri. And his legacy is a wife and a family who faithfully calls to the Lord in their time of need. For his wife fears the Lord, even as the text says that he feared the Lord. And this is what those who fear the Lord do. They don't justify themselves out of hardships, but when they come to hardships, they call out to God in their distress. They look to the Lord to be their source of deliverance. We read in the book of Second Chronicles of the nation of Judah in a desperate situation. And listen to how the king of Judah responds to their desperation. He calls out in prayer, O our God, will you not execute judgment on our enemies? 
For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. When you come to a desperate situation where the enemy that has come against you is beyond your power to defeat, how do you respond? What do you do? The Word of God this morning is telling us in the midst of these situations when we do not know what to do, we need to turn our eyes to the Lord. This must be our response when we are powerless to change our desperate situation. We must turn our eyes to God and call out to Him for He promises us in His Word, call to Me and I will answer you. What hardship or struggle are you facing? What difficulty? Call out to the Lord, Christian. Call out to Him and He will answer you. Call out to the Lord and He will deliver you. We are... So willing to give in to this fatalistic view of the world, a view that sees God as either unable or unwilling to deliver us from our hardships to those things that are beyond our control. But what the Word of God is teaching us today is when we come to those places where we have no control, we must call out to God and He will listen to us and He will respond. For just as this widow had access to the prophet Elisha because of her husband's faithfulness, so too do we have access to the Father because of Christ's faithfulness. For through Him, the book of Ephesians says, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. That is because Jesus has reconciled you to God through the blood of His cross. Now by the power of the Holy Spirit given to you, you can have access to God the Father. You can go to God the Father in prayer because Jesus, our prophet, our high priest, our King has reconciled us to God and therefore we can come before Him with great confidence that He will hear us and that He will answer. Jesus says, You have not because you ask not. So begin asking, Christian. Begin calling out to the Lord to bring you recovery and peace and stability. Now we are a culture that does not value asking for help and humility. You go to any bookstore and you can find a very large and prominently placed self-help section. But never have I seen an asking for help section. Because most of us just don't feel comfortable asking for help from others. We think that what we need is to figure out how we personally can help ourselves. And so we look inward. But there are forces at work within this conflict between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God in which we get caught up where we have no ability to deliver ourselves and therefore we must call out to God. You see, when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, He desires for us to call out to Him for help. And therefore we must come to Him with our empty hands, humble. And here it is that the Lord responds when we have nothing to offer Him but our weakness. In verse 2, Elisha asked the widow, what do you have in the house? Right? She has all this debt. All right, let's 
assess your financial situation. Let's see what you have. What assets do you have? And she responds that she has nothing except a jar of oil. Now we have to understand what this jar of oil represents. It doesn't represent wealth, but rather poverty. Because this is all she has. Like the five loaves and the two fishes that Jesus used to feed the 5,000. The presence of these objects don't show abundance or even a starting point. They show the complete lack of those who are in a place of need. It'd be as if someone asked, how much money do you have in your bank account this month to pay your mortgage? And you said, I have a nickel. Right? The nickel isn't even a starting place for paying your mortgage. The presence of the nickel just shows how little you actually have. But this is where the Lord begins to act. When we have nothing to give but our weakness. He works with the very thing that symbolizes our need. Christ used the five loaves and the two fish to feed the 5,000. And the Lord will use this small jar of oil to bring deliverance to this widow. You see, this is the way that the Lord works. He does not expect you to have proper collateral to secure His work on your behalf. Rather, He begins to work when we have nothing. And we take that small symbol of our weakness And we give it to Him. Do you remember the widow's two mites? Jesus said that they were the greatest offering that had been given. And so the question is, where are you struggling? Where is there hardship and weakness in your life? The Word of God this morning is telling us, give to the Lord the symbol of your weakness. If you are indeed in financial hardship, then begin by offering to the Lord the tithe that He calls you to offer in His Word. You say, well, I I only have a dollar. Then give your ten cents in faith. If you're depressed because your health is starting to fail as you are aging, instead of ignoring it or denying it, the Word of God says, go and serve those who themselves are in times of hardship, those who are dying, find a place where you can serve in a nursing home so that you can see what the Lord might do through you. If you're overwhelmed with time obligations, you feel like your life is overwhelmed with scheduling, give to the Lord your Sundays to worship Him, to rest in Him, not just an hour that you fit into the craziness of your life, but give to the Lord a whole day, one in seven, even as He commands us in His Word. If you're scared to share your faith with your neighbor, don't hold back. But in your weakness, go and speak forth the truth of the gospel. Even though you know it will not be perfect, you don't need to go and take a class on apologetics or on how to share your faith. Rather, take your weakness of being fearful of sharing your faith and offer it to God. For it is in our weakness that the Lord responds to our cries for help. The next thing we see about the way the Lord responds to this widow's cry for help is that He does it in secret. He does it in secret. 
look at verse 4. There, Elisha instructs the widow after gathering as many vessels as she could from her neighbors, go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons. This seems to be a strange instruction to people like us who are big believers in the power of publicity and trending topics on social media. And yet it's not an isolated event in the Word of God. Rather, over and over again, we see that the Lord seeks to work in secret, to perform His mighty deeds on behalf of those who cry out to Him in the closet, as it were. Throughout the ministry of the Lord Jesus, He has those who will receive His blessing shut the door behind them. Yes, there are times for the nations to see. Yes, there are times to declare the faithfulness of the Lord. But there are also other times when the door is to be closed to the outside world so that you might call out to the Lord in secret. Now you might object and say, well, wouldn't this great miracle cause revival? Could it not be used to spread the message of God's power? Well, apparently in this situation, no. As we have seen, miracles rarely lead people to believing in the Lord. People will gather to miraculous signs like fruit flies to an overripe banana. But then when the show is over, their hearts have not changed. Christians. Are you in a place of hardship and desperation? Then call out to the Lord, not as a show, not for some publicity stunt. Yes, there are times to tell of God's goodness, but there should be aspects of your relationship with God that are to be received in secret. Even as we read in Matthew 6, the Lord Jesus Christ tells us that we are to give in secret, that we are to pray in secret, that we are to fast. In secret. There are times when the most faithful thing to do is to go behind closed doors and faithfully seek the Lord. For there should be aspects, Christian, there should be aspects of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that are just too personal and intimate to share on Facebook or Twitter or TikTok. There are aspects of your relationship with Christ that should be too precious to you to write a book about them so that you can have attention drawn to what God has done in your life. When we call out to the Lord in secret, we don't do it so that we can make a show of it. Rather, we do it so that as we seek the Lord in secret, we receive the Lord's work in our life in secret. And so we need to offer our weakness to Him. We need to do it not for publicity, but rather in secret. And the third thing we see about the way that the Lord responds to our call for help is that He calls us to respond in obedience to His Word. You see, the woman is called upon to go and gather these jars, these vessels to pour oil into. And she obeys. She's called to pour from her small jar of oil into these numerous jars, and she does it. You think, would you be willing to do that? I'd be like, what what are we doing here, God? 
There's only this much oil and this little jar and we've gathered all these jars. How is this going to help? But yet when she obeys, the Lord provides. You see, obedience is required in this Christian life. When we cry out to the Lord for help, we must come to Him with a willingness to obey what He commands us to do in His Word. Now we have to hear this. Not because we earn His help through obedience. We're not earning His help through obedience, but rather through our obedience we learn to trust the Lord more and more. You need to understand this aspect of calling out to the Lord. He will respond to our call when we obey His voice. Yet we do not earn His help through our obedience. Rather, we grow in trust that the God that we call out to will hear us. For the Lord is not primarily interested in giving you health. He is not primarily interested in giving you financial peace. Rather, His primary goal is to draw you into a trusting relationship with Him. You see, the widow's obedience is filled with trust, but it's not really that meritorious of a task, right? I mean, all she did was go out and ask her neighbors for some empty jars. But the Lord blessed her obedience. Because her obedience drew her closer to Him. And in whatever situation you are facing, the Lord is calling you to begin with obedience to His Word. We often address our cries to the Lord in these situations as, If you help me, then I will serve you. But you've got this wrong. It assumes that the Lord is looking for some payment that you will render to Him once the goods that you ask Him for are delivered. But the Lord is not looking for payment through your obedience. Rather, He is looking for you to trust Him. When you come to a place of extreme need, it is time to look to the Word of God and to seek greater obedience to His Word. It is a time to seek a closer walk with the Lord, for it is in the times of our greatest need that we come to understand and know the Lord best. And so this widow obeys the Lord. She pours the oil into these various vessels And miraculously, it doesn't run dry until the last vessel has been filled. Then look at what Elisha instructs her to do in verse 7. He says, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on the rest. The Lord has provided in such abundance that not only are her present needs met, But she has enough to live on for the future. The Lord has taken the symbol of her poverty and has turned it into the very source of her salvation. And we need to see this principle at work. For the Lord is seeking to take the very thing that you see as your problem, the very thing that you see as your weakness, and turn it into your deliverance. Your financial problems may give you freedom from your love of money. Your health problems may give you the freedom from pride, which is a greater disease. Your relational conflicts 
may be the very thing that the Lord is using to create within you a heart of patience and peace. Because it is in our weakness that the Lord's strength becomes apparent. Your need is the Lord's opportunity to show His abundant grace. And ultimately, again, your greatest need isn't more money. Your greatest need isn't more time. It isn't a better job. It isn't relational peace. Your greatest need isn't more health. Your greatest need is deliverance from sin. And the Lord uses the weaknesses and the hardships of our lives to drive us to His strength found in Jesus Christ alone. Our brokenness, our need drives us to the wholeness that we can receive in Christ alone. For our humility is used for His glory. Even as the Apostle Paul writes in the book of 2 Corinthians, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What weakness do you have, Christian? What are you struggling with? What situation has arisen in your life that you feel like you have no control over? Offer it to the Lord in weakness and in the midst of your weakness, see the strength and power of God come forth in your life. A strange and unexpected thing happened in the South in response to the bull weevil infestation of the early 20th century. You see, for years, experts had been suggesting that this region needed to diversify their crops. Cotton had depleted the oil from, or the soil rather, the oil, the soil. (laughs) This widow had oil, they had soil. (laughs) They needed to diversify what they were planting because the cotton was taking all the nutrients out of their soil. But there was no stimulus to bring about this change until the bull weevil. Since the cotton was being eaten away, farmers decided that they needed to plant other crops so that they could make some money in the meantime. And so they began to plant things like peanuts. This change brought about more economic stability to a region that had been overly dependent on the price of cotton. And while the boll weevil was still a pest and a nuisance, it actually became a symbol of progress, a catalyst towards health and stability. As a result, the town of Enterprise, Alabama, had a statue constructed in honor of the boll weevil. Even today, in Enterprise, Alabama, there is a triumphant woman in a flowing robe holding over her head a bull weevil. And on the plaque it says, in profound appreciation of the bull weevil and what it has done as the herald of prosperity. The very thing that brought destruction and 
spear became the very symbol of deliverance to the people of this region. And this is how the Lord seeks to show His power in our lives. He wants to show that the very thing that is bringing distress and hardship in your life will be what He uses to drive you into His arms and to give you salvation and deliverance. And the highest and most clear example of this reality is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the curse that is hanging over the human race? What is the ultimate conflict of kingdoms? It is the conflict of life and death. Because the wages of sin is death and death everlasting. Death is our great enemy in this world. Yet it was death that the Lord chose to use to bring us life. What does this cross represent? This cross that adorns our sanctuary. Sometimes we can forget what this cross actually means. I'll tell you that for somebody living in first century Israel, the cross meant slavery to Rome and it meant death. But what has this symbol of death become to us through Jesus Christ? It has become the symbol of the very essence of life. It has become the universal symbol of salvation. For the Lord turned what was meant to bring death into a means of salvation for His people. Christian, what distress has come into your life? What weakness? What uncontrollable force? Call upon the Lord in the midst of your weakness and trust His response to you in His Word. And in humility, offer to Him your weakness in obedience. Knowing that even as we submit to the Lord, that through Jesus Christ, He will bring to us salvation. And life. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Almighty God, we come to you now. Lord, and each of us in our own lives have many things that we struggle with. I pray that you would give to us the Grace to believe your word that as we call out to you that you will respond. And that as we submit to your word in obedience that the very thing that was meant for our destruction will become that which delivers us. Even as the cross was meant for death but now means life. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.